0: You are listening to ID On Demand, a podcast that explores the latest in the field of instructional design. I am your host, Dr. Joelle Lewis Billingsley, an associate professor at the University of South Alabama. ID On Demand is your resource where professionals and experts share their path in various careers, all utilizing instructional design and innovative strategies. We're doing great. We're doing great. We can hear you. Um, so, uh, thank you again for joining us on this Friday.
1: Oh, uh, thank you guys Friday for having around me. around
0: lunchtime. Yep. Oh yeah. Excellent. Okay, so we'll go ahead and get started since you're here, and here with us. Um, thank you everyone for joining again. I'm Dr. Joel Lewis Billingsley and I'm really, really excited to uh, host this, uh, this webinar series where we're talking about instructional design for joining us. Um, uh, My assistant Jennifer Curtis, she's uh, been along this way from idea generation, creation, to um, actually helping us with technical assistance, so I want to thank her. Also um, all the faculty from South Alabama College of Education Professional Studies, thank you so much for joining us. And all the current students, alumni, and anyone visiting um, this program, thank you so much for joining us. We're super excited about hearing about instructional design and hearing about the impact of the pandemic on our work and on our organizations institutions we work with as well as uh, learning about the future of instructional design and how experts see uh, what types of things we need to do in order to be ready for uh, ready for this type of this type of constant change. So what I figure we'll do first is I'd like to, uh, introduce our guest, and then we're going to hear from him on the work that he's doing uh, at the city of Mobile. So um, I am going to introduce uh, uh, Terrence Smith and he is, among other things, uh, we like to say uh, an alumni of the master's program in instructional design and development at the University of South Alabama in our College of Education and Professional Studies. And, um, you know, part of what I'm learning about uh, Terrence as I'm continuously learning about new things he's doing, um, everything sort of builds on the next experience. Uh, He is one that is reflective uh, in his learning, uh, and he's so eager to share uh, with others. So, his current position is Director of Innovation uh, at the City of Mobile. And he's gonna tell us about that position that he's in. But I wanna just give you just a few of the accolades and many awards that he has been recognized with um, since doing this work uh, with the city of Mobile, the municipality, local municipality. Uh, so part of what I'm learning uh, uh, 40 Under 40, uh, Mobile Bay Magazine's um, award for 40 Under 40 he has been recognized in that way. He was also a member of the leadership of mobile class of 2014 um, also AL.com's young rebel uh, award of the year and also participating in leadership alabama's alabama leadership initiative uh class of 2018-2019 he's been recognized as a innovator to watch by city lab Also, um, an award from the Engaging Local Government Leaders uh, Association, and he received the Traeger Award, which uh, recognizes influencers in local government. Uh, His motto that I like to read every time I see a post from him is make mistakes, make improvements, never make excuses. Terrence, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to hear from you uh, as you greet all the attendees and tell us more about what you're doing.
1: All right, well, can you guys see me? Am I in the screen? We can see you. We right, can see you. Wanna, I just want to make sure. So, uh, so first of all, thank you guys for having me, and uh, thanks, thanks, Dr. Joelle, for for giving that introduction. Um, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm just excited to be here, you know, I, I, I reflected on my experience yesterday, I didn't realize it was about 10 years of, of being finished and out of the program. And I'll tell you, when I, when I first started, I had no idea of what I was going to do and what I was getting myself into. And, and 10 years later, I look back on this being an incredible journey. Like I could not, if I had planned and charted it out, it would not have come out this well. Uh, And so um, I'm I'm, I'm totally grateful for the experience. I'm indebted to the University of South Alabama as as well as Dr. Joelle Lewis who kind of pulled me to the side like one of my last semesters and kind of started me on a new path that changed my entire life, not only my life but the dynamic of my family and I would like to thank her for that and the school for that and the program itself for that. Uh, So I'm going to start off. I'm just going to tell you about what I do now for the, tell you a little bit of my history, my my degrees in anthropology, sociology, communications, undergrad, and then a master's degree in instructional design, all from from the University of South Alabama. Uh, I knew I wanted to help people. Uh, I did not know what that looked like. I wanted to help people and I wanted to make money. And I was told that you can't do both. You have to choose and because i'm kind of rebellious in a way i decided that i was going to prove that you can make money and help people and go to sleep at night and so i sleep very well you know, i have done very well and i think that you know i've helped a lot of people and so one of the one of the things that we one of the one of the things that i started out started out in social services and then i moved on to uh to uh the housing board and then helped them what was that? education, nonprofit in the education world, and now I'm in government. And Dr. Joel is right, every experience kind of built upon the next experience, uh, coming, learning how to help people, learning how to work with people, learning how people learn and how they operate, which is the greatest part. I, I immediately thought when I got, when I started working that everyone had that kind of thought process and thinking, how do people learn from the very beginning? Most people just think about, there's a desired outcome that I want, but they're not thinking about the people that have to work with you to achieve those outcomes, and the, the modes of learning and how they learn and how they operate and how the environment plays into that learning process. And so, then I quickly realized that you know it was the instructional design background that that gave me that that view of what was happening. And so, once I realized that, I just kind of just I just kind of expanded on that. I just took it off and started running with it. And so as I think about my job in government, so I'm the director of the innovation team, the Bloomberg funded innovation team here at the city of Mobile. It's about 38 teams from around the world. Um, and, and, you know, we're in Mobile. So I'm thinking that Mobile, is it, Mobile with the innovation team? Like, how is the rest of the world gonna do that? But I will tell you that it has been a great experience. Uh, just last year, we, we became innovators to watch in the city of Mobile. And that's the, like, one of the top six innovators from around the world, according to CityLab. Then we also ended up in Fast Company and then we ended up in all these other great publications. But those things, those things felt okay. The greatest part about the job was that people who had never come to the government were now coming to the government to receive services or to give feedback. And people in the government were now listening. That was the greatest experience for me is that, you know people are now starting to trust the government a little bit more. And it's and it's not because we were now delivering services better which we were but they started to trust the government a little bit more because they were their voices were now included in the process so we start gathering information it's kind of like when you design an instruction it's the same thing same thing for designing and delivering a service you want to go out and you want to you want to understand the process you want to analyze the field and then you want to start designing with the people you want to co-create those solutions for us, what we do is, so I'm going, to take you on a, I'm going to take you on a tour of the office. So for us, what that looks like, it looks like this, right? It looks like post-it notes everywhere. And those are, this is the actual voice of the people. Let's go back over here, though, and I'm going to show you a little bit more. This is also the actual voice of the people. So we take those post-it notes and we, we uh, digitize them. So when the mayor is now, when he's out creating a strategic plan and a framework, he is actually those, that is the actual voice of the people. Now, it's a good sample population for us. It, and it's not just the people that the mayor likes, so that the administration enjoys speaking with. We're pulling people from the very outer edges because we realize this is like teaching in the classroom or designing structures for someone. If I can pick up people, if I can design for people on the outer fringes, the edges, then I will be able to satisfy the no. middle. Now, most people don't want to do that because that takes a long time, it's very arduous and you know it could be very contentious. What we started to do was that, we started, to, we started to embrace the creative tension. And so for us, that means I will then implant someone in the process, if I believe that the, that the setting is somewhat gonna be people who think the same, I will implant someone who I know will cause some tension. And because of that tension exists, People they they become very like they become very like iffy on the front end. So there's it's like they feel the danger. And for the rest of the meeting, they're working their way back towards the middle for safety in the end. But that 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 person that's creating that creative tension forces people outside of their comfort zone to think greater and think bigger and think outside of their box. They're having their beliefs, their thoughts, their principles challenged. And at the end, what you see is that you start realizing people are realizing, hey, I've been entrenched in this thing for so long, I've done it this way. And maybe it's not the right way because there are a bunch of people outside of me who don't see it that way. They didn't grow up like me, they don't have the same access points as me. And so we start to see changes in how people act. So that's kind of how that's that's kind of my role in the government in a nutshell. It's been a great experience, uh, four or five years. I only, I only spent about four years. In a space and then i'm gone uh, but this has been such a great experience that i'm still here they keep letting me come to work every day so
0: wow we appreciate that terence thank you so much for even just showing us around your office just a little bit uh, i've been in that space and it is very innovative it makes you want to be creative makes you want to solve problems so thanks for giving us a glimpse of that and telling us about your role, uh, one of the things we really like to focus on, so thinking about the pandemic and before uh, the pandemic and after, uh, being that you are uh, in innovation and helping the city make uh, make solve problems and, uh, you know, really thinking about the citizens at the heart of that. Will you talk to us a little bit about the work you've been doing uh, since the pandemic uh, and sort of either like before and after maybe some shifts and changes?
1: Yeah, so before we were working on housing in the city of Mobile, we were working on, uh, our job was to ensure that we that we understood the current housing market in the city. Um, there was a lot of focus and a lot of chatter around low income public housing, but we also realized that we were trying to teach the city that affordable housing not only meant low income public housing. That's one rung of of, of affordable housing. And so we were teaching them about the different levels of affordable housing and then doing research to figure out if we have enough affordable housing within, within those three categories of rungs and where are the barriers that exist. Well, then COVID-19 hit and then, you know, everything was spent, into, everything was in a tailspin. Uh, for us, though, in we're the, we're the innovation lab, and so we were kind of we were we were more prepared uh, than most departments because we had already started working from home. Uh, the government hated that, you know. I think the mayor hated it. The mayor still hates it. I'm, I'm in the office right now because the mayor called me to the office to work inside the office because that's a thing, right? You have to be in the office for them to feel good about it. But the rest of my team is there outside the office. So to give you an example of my team, my team is the, my. The control environment, the very close group, the I team is uh, me, an instructional designer as a director of innovation team. Then we have a, a data analyst, and then we have uh, a designer who who is a who was a product designer for A six and Nintendo before coming to mobile, and then the extension of the team uh, are the three one one call ticks, and Their average age sixty two years old. So imagine that everybody under forty, and then we have a, a group of ten to fourteen people that are average age 62. So one of the first things we realized was that you know they were at highest risk for being uh, impacted by COVID-19. So we had to get them out of the office to work from home. So we were the first department to uh, send all of our employees to work from home. Uh, now that goes back to my instructional design background and skills because I realized there was going to be a huge steep learning curve because these are people who work uh, these are people who are who are working in the office on a computer system that they are used to. And they don't want to do anything else. And Now we're saying you have to go home with this MyFi, You have to go home with this new laptop, this additional headset. Now your your phone system is not going to be an actual phone, but a unified app that is actually your phone, but just on your computer. That was very difficult for them. Uh, you know they fought it a little bit, and so now when we introduce Microsoft Teams, which is now the virtual office their virtual call center for them. And so, you know, it was, it was amazing that now they're 100% working from home. Their efficiency is up 35%. And I'll tell you what, so they're working from home and, and, and people are wondering how are we, uh, how are we measuring their effectiveness? Well, before they left, we created dashboards, uh, electronic dashboards to monitor the efficiency of departments. And so now, now that they are away, we still, we, we still had the opportunity to measure their, how long are they on calls? Uh, are they getting the correct information? Are, are, are citizens satisfied with the call? And so those are all great things that we implemented beforehand. And then, you know, now, then my job switches. So now I have a, I have a team member who's running that project and then I move on to something else. And so now we started creating, started creating dashboards for the, uh, the hospitals. So that they could have a view of the battlefield of COVID-19 between the hospitals. Now they have the, uh, the Ad- Alabama Incident Management System, but it, it isn't really a data visualization tool. It doesn't allow them to make decisions on the fly. And so we created that for the hospitals as an internal project and sent it out. And and then uh, part of my part of my new role is reimagining city services. So now we're so now we're looking at what we did before what are all the digital what are all the non-digital services and then what are the current digital services and then how can we increase the number of, of digital services within the city of Mobile so that we can increase decrease the physical touches to decrease uh, the transmission of COVID-19 or any subsequent viruses that may come after COVID-19 but in doing that, we also also realized that if we're going to reimagine city services, we have to be very intentional, and very careful. And so now, you know, there, it's great to implement all of these new automation services and all of these technologies. But what happens is that when we when we're working so fast, we implement these new technologies and new systems. What you forget is that you're automating activities. You're not changing the system. You are just automating activities. And so once you once you uh, automate those activities without changing the system. You really seeing your system it's a chaos so you have traditional traditional uh practices with non-traditional with non-traditional uh activities and so one of the things we have to do is go back and review the entire system map it out we just like we like to use uh kumo which is is a, a platform as well as miro uh to look at the entire system to find the touch points to find the areas of waste and so that's where we are currently with the, uh, with the system. So that has been very interesting to get people who are very interested to a system to now see that, that the change is needed. And one, the one thing that helped us, the one thing that helped us a lot was that it was very hard to get people to change until they see something directly impacting them. So before we tried to say, hey, let's move this process, let's move all your, most of your processes online so that citizens don't have to drive and park and come up. And nobody really wanted to do that. But now there's a threat that you may get COVID-19 from interacting with people face-to-face. Now everyone's like, let's move everything online. And it's like, great. So never let a good crisis go to waste. And, and that, that, is, that is how that happened.
0: Wow, Terrence, you reviewed like some really major initiatives that you've been able to put in place in this very short period of time. I'm going to move a couple questions, but then we may be able to get back to some of those major initiatives. So, Jaqualius wants to know: How do you think that the COVID-19 will change the workforce uh, once everything passes over?
1: So, I, I think I think it's going to change. I think it's going to change tremendously, and, and not just you know not just for the short term because we we cities cities and academic institutions and just the departments all around and whole industries, they have they have had to implement new strategies and we've lost a ton of money and lost a ton of revenue and people are fearful now that you know we've in, so now we've invested in all of these different uh, services and, and technologies that now we're, we are for now, forever gonna be changed by that. We're gonna have to start using those technologies. And I think that now is the great, it's a great point to start thinking about how we remove the non the non-essential Physical touch points, but while still maintaining that level of uh, connection, because if we start implementing all these different technologies without having the connection that makes us all great, then we really, really have done ourselves a great disservice. And so, I think that right now it's a great time for anyone in a creative field, anyone that's in a design field, um, to start, start creating, start designing, start reimagining, start sharing start doing it and I think a lot of times what I've learned from designers is that they're they're kind of fearful to share you know it takes a lot of vulnerability to go into a room of people who have been doing things one way without being uh, without being offended that we're trying to change the way they do their work most what I realized that most people they're afraid of they're not they're not afraid of changing the system they're afraid of losing what they have they, they, all of their capital, all of their knowledge is based in the old processes. And so how then do we take that fear and alleviate that by saying, hey, yes, things are going to change, but then this is what you're going to gain. Now that's also easier said than done, because what I've realized is that even with my own staff, they were reluctant to change because the old system was how they got their, uh, their raises through the, uh, through the personnel board. And so now I have to take all the new processes uh, and make it just as easy for them to move through and get their, and also get their raises and all the PD, PD points that they need for their own mobility. And so, you know, those are things that they can't and won't tell you because they don't fully understand that. But they just know that if I lose what I know, I'm going to be thrust into a new world. I might lose everything I had. So we have to account for that.
0: Wow, that, that that sounds like that's so insightful, you know, that you're taking time to really think about the, the challenges that are happening with your workforce, the challenges that are happening within the systems. And that just kind of helps us sort of think about like how we should be thinking about these things as it relates to people, as it relates to systems and these different levels that help us be able to reflect in that way. Um, Annette talk, talks about a little bit about Forbes, a Forbes article that talks about the increase of digitalization and accessibility um, that you kind of lent, you know, kind of had some thoughts about. Um, also, Xinhua is saying, wants to know what skills are critical for our instructional design graduates um, when they're looking for a job sort of right now.
1: So, so I'll tell you what, what I, what I currently hire for right now is uh, people who can listen and people who are adaptable. So I want, and I, and people who have critical thinking, higher order thinking skills. I'm looking for the higher order thinking skills. I'm looking for someone who has empathy. I'm looking for someone who is flexible, because I think with those, because the world changes so fast. If I only hire for their degree and what they did in college, that doesn't really transfer into the, like this world, because what you learned three weeks ago or three years ago may not be relevant today. So you're gonna always have to be in the mold of. Changing and being flexible. I would also say that one of the most uh, important skills for us too is uh, is uh, what is it? Statistics. I would have never said that ten years ago, but I'm going to tell you right. Being able to understand data, analyze data, and and spreadsheets, and that is very very important. If not, you're you're at the mercy of someone else who can do that. And we have to. And I, what I've learned is that everything that is created is created with the bias of the creator. And so in order for me to understand what is really being displayed, even, even data visually, even data, I will tell you, so I'm gonna tell you one of these things. We were looking at the data for COVID-19. He started seeing these numbers come in. And I was like, well, that isn't really, those numbers, they don't really reflect what we're seeing and what we're feeling and the moves that are being taken at the county level. And so we dug deeper and then we found out that, oh, it's because at a certain level it's being filtered Uh, through through maybe through the health department and they said, hey, look, they said the hospitals only count, uh, the hospitals only count the numbers of people who tested positive and are admitted to the hospital. So I was like, whoa, that's like only 10% of the people that we know that are gonna test positive. So what happens with everyone else? And so you start to realize that, but I would have not known that though, if I had not thrust myself into data analytics and statistics to start really fully understanding. But those skills alone, without the empathy, without understanding what people really want, and then to be able to visualize it in a way that people want and need to see it from their three different learning styles. Because, you know, a lot of times we forget that there are three different learning styles and have to please, have to please people from all of the learning styles in a very simple format. It's almost like the Apple format. If people, people want something that they can pick up today, understand, and go with, not something that they have to study for five or six years. That's for us as the experts.
0: That's awesome. Um, Paige has a question that kind of going back to your creative tension. Have mm-hmm. you ever heard of a time when um, that creative tension went awry? Uh, so how do you, you know, really navigate that? Uh, and also thinking about um, never, never let a good crisis go to waste. We'd love to hear your thoughts a little bit more on that as well.
1: Ah, so, so, so I, so, so I take the last, take the last one first, never let the crisis go to waste. Uh, because I, I say that because, you know, people, when people are fear can be, an, it, it can be an enabler or it could be a disabler. And so when people are, when people like, I'm fearful, I don't want to lose this. I want to do that. They're not going to do anything, but also like, so we, when, when this COVID-19 hit We have been telling departments for the longest that you need to go digital, you need to start doing this, you need to be more customer centric, you need to be this, you need to be that. And no one wanted to listen. So here I am with three years worth of plans that they can implement today to make themselves better. And they they just wouldn't do it because there was no real threat to them. Then COVID-19 hit and it is an equalizer. It is a threat to everybody. And now they're like, whoa, we need to go digital. But what if I had forgotten that, forgotten that plan or I was too salty or sour to say, hey, look, I'm gonna take advantage of this opportunity. So I said, let's take advantage of this opportunity. We took all those plans out, we gave them back to them, presented to them in a different way. And then they're saying, you know, they're implementing these plans. So now people are looking like, well, Terrence and his team, they're amazing. These guys are great because they had all these, they, they implemented this stuff on the fly. It's like, no, these are plans that are three years old. So when I, so we, because we were operating in, so there's three different kinds of this, hindsight, insight and foresight people say hindsight 2020 20, where it is because you can look back and you can see what happened like but you have to be able to forecast what's going to happen ahead of time some people can 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 utilize insight but then the foresight to be able to look ahead and predict it only comes from um being able to understand qualitative data and qualitative data and trends and then be able to make an educated guess of where things are going to go and so uh, that's that's where i go with, with my uh never let a good crisis go waste, so and then my creative tension, uh, I'll tell you what, so very few times do the creative tension go uh, go awry and go crazy. One, because we're very intentional. So we would never create, we would never have a session with people without understanding the people. And so long before the people come into the office, we've done our research on them. We've, 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 we've gathered information on how they operate individually and both collectively as a group. And so we, we assign roles. So if, if I was, for a perfect example, a no, quick example, if I was going to bring a group in, I would bring in, and if there's a really strong personality and then there's a leader, I would bring in the, the leader and I would make that person a privileged observer. Why do I say privileged observer? Because that person is privileged to be in the room, to have the ability to make the decisions about what is being said, but also the privilege to be able to sit in the room and hear all of the, 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 the feedback from the people that they're managing. And then I'm gonna take, then I'm gonna take the facilitator and the facilitator is the only leader in the room. He is the owner of, He is the owner of that thing. But we have to teach him what being an owner is. The owner is not being in control. Being an owner means I am accountable for what goes into it and what comes out of it. So that person, that's his role. And then everyone else, they are prohibited from talking to each other. They only have their sticky note and they have to put down, they can put down as many words as they want to, but on that sticky note. So when you realize that, you can start seeing the tension of who wants to control and who wants to kind of be, who kind of wants to fall back. But when everybody has the opportunity to put their notes on the board at the same time, you really start to see the difference and that, that person that's creating that tension, his notes are far different from anyone else. And then from that first initial, uh, that first initial note, you have all these other different notes coming out because now people realize that they can be vulnerable and open.
0: Awesome, thank you so much. Uh, Brandon wants to know: Have you seen any good instruction equate to a stronger buy-in as regards to technology? I know you sort of lent, you sort of told us a little bit about that, but um, oh, yeah. if you could talk a little bit about that technology integration, that'd be great.
1: Oh, yeah. So for, so for sure. I mean, the, the, easier pe- the easier it is for people to understand, the more they're willing to adopt it. What I, what I realize is that most people, they don't want people We, we, can, we can say, hey, nobody wants There's no there are no dumb questions. People don't feel like that. People feel like, you know, I, I want to be especially if it's a bunch of other people talking really high level language and they're really smart in the room. Nobody wants to go and ask the question. What does that mean? Everybody. Everybody has one of those moments where they say, oh, I don't know what that means. Well, the things that that we've been able to really get adopted really fast are the things that we design really, really well, really. So we we may design it all the way out, and then we bring in people that are really close to us to test it out. And then we may go and test it out with somebody who has no knowledge at all about what's going on. So it's really low stakes testing. Because if if it works, if it doesn't work, you know, whatever. And then we go back, and by the time, if I'm doing doing a project with with Joelle, I've tested it 40 times before I brought it to us, 40 different iterations. So now what she sees is she may only have about three or five, three to five things to say about what can be different. And really those are maybe really minor, but if she says something that is totally different from these other people that I brought in, then I realize that we haven't done our due diligence on our research. And so I like to say, utilize white space. Uh, don't get really fancy with something um, and, and don't be afraid to prototype. We, we, we try to create something as fast as possible with the intention of having it broken. We then take it out to have it broken, have it tested, have it pushed, and then by the time we take it to the mayor or whoever it is, it is ready to, it is ready to go with minor changes.
0: That reminds me, Terrence, of the time, you know, you helped us uh, with assimilation. And I, I realized that I probably, now thinking about your model, I know we brought in, came in with your innovation team and you helped us really think about that simulation. And as we're sort of thinking about it, we've had some other times to really try it out and it's gotten better every time. But I really yeah. love your model of, you know, really just being able to put that prototype out and being able to think about, you know, and actually trying it out multiple, multiple times, as many times as possible. So i think that'll be something we continue to do to try to make sure that the next time it's implemented it's um even better than it was before and probably like you know just keep progressing oh yeah um so um another question um jaquarius wants to know about technological skills that stand out for you uh as you're thinking about the future of instructional design uh
1: so technological uh you know what so for, for us it's really important so for me it's it's really important that 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 people come in with a little bit of desire to learn AI, right? A little augmented reality, uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of the tools. So we we use a lot of uh, we use a lot of voice transcription tools. Um, the Adobe Office Suite is very important. You don't have to be an expert, but it is very important to know uh, some Adobe, and then uh, skills that are really 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 attractive to employers. Or uh, Microsoft Power BI, or Tableau, or any of those data visualization tools. Well, along with, if you have your int- instructional design skills, along with that. But then, video editing. So the the video editing for instruction, that that could be that would be very important. And very few, uh, very few offices or departments have any understanding of what that means. They'll create a PowerPoint presentation and put it out in a second. Uh, and then realize that none of their principles or none of the instructions being adopted because that's not how people learn anymore. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I would say too, uh, I can't get enough of saying this: people, especially in the instructional design field, should start learning how to use uh, platforms like Miro and Kumu to to uh, to visualize what is happening and show people what's in their brain and the flows and the processes of it all.
0: Uh, Spell those for us, uh, Terrence.
1: All right, it's Miro is M-I-R-O and then Kumu is K-U-M-U dot I-O.
0: Okay, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Jennifer, just type them in the chat, everyone, if you want, if you didn't catch that, uh, that, we appreciate that, that's fantastic. That really gives us an overview of sort of these technology skills that we need to be thinking about moving into the future. I'd love to sort of hear a little bit more about your dashboards. These seem to be uh, really, really innovative in terms of how you're using them. I believe first with the city and then now with hospitals. Could you talk to us a little bit about the dashboards?
1: Yeah, so, so what happens is that you know there is, it's amazing when you go into these, these spaces and see how people share data, it's usually on the table. It's really weird that they, that you know, with all that's going on, like very, very few people who understand how to read a table. And so one of the things that we started to do was we, we realized that, hey, look, people need people. If I give you a table today and a table tomorrow and a table the next day, you're not seeing the trends and the lines and the graphs. You're not seeing anything. You're not able to make operational decisions based on that. And so we decided that, you know, we wanted to create scorecards for every department in the city to show how they're doing how much work is coming in how much work is going out how long is it taking on average um, is it is it uh, is a high priority is a low priority and then you know how many people are calling for that service one of the things that we quickly realized and we, we realized so and then we only use that as a way to go out so for us when the mayor asked me a question I instantly have the answer or a better question to ask for him because I have the dashboard on my phone. And so, you know, I'm not having to go to an, to, a, to the lab and have 30 screens to show me the dashboard. I'm looking at it right now. So not and, I, and I'm, I'm probably telling you more than I should, but today I was in a meeting today and you know, uh, and the, the trash department said that, hey, we're doing really great out there. We're picking up trash, we're moving. I'm, I'm looking at my phone, thinking, no you're not. Like you, you like three days behind, three days behind on your trash. You hadn't completed the route since Tuesday. But they don't know that because they're not reading their dashboards. They have a guy who's reading their dashboards for them. And so one of the things that we started doing was like, how do I then reach the guy who has a high school diploma, make it easy enough for him to understand that he can read it while he's on, while he's in the truck. So one of the things that we started to do was we started to use another platform. Monday.com. So Monday.com is really a workflow. It's like a project management system, but we started using it for workflow. And it has a back. It has a back. Uh, has a back end dashboard system that, that they're using out there in the field, which is really amazing for them. Now for us and our in our scorecards, we just wanted to be able to take it, visualize the data. For everyone to make it easy for everyone at every level. So the mayor and the executive team, they get a very large overview of everything in the city. And then as it goes down to uh, senior director and then director and then manager, it becomes a very small view that so that they know exactly what they're doing. One example, what happens is it doesn't give you the answers, but it helps you ask better questions. So we realized that there were a bunch of uh, calls for trash, trash not being picked up. I think, and then, so, so somebody said, well, well, all I have to do is go to the website we go to the website that's why 1500 calls for services for trash they go to the website 40,000 clicks on the website in a one month time span for people trying to figure out how to uh for people trying to figure out how to uh people trying to figure out how to get their trash picked up and we quickly realized that the issue was that it was actually a better question we got on the trucks ourselves and but our dashboard realized that it wasn't that you know these guys weren't doing a great job is that they were going above and beyond without communicating that to citizens. So they would finish their route early sometimes, and then they would go ahead and start picking up the next neighborhood. And so when neighbors see that their trash is being picked up in their neighborhood, and this is not the garbage cans, the actual big trash with the arm. So they realize that their trash is being picked up, they start freaking out, they start calling the mayor's office, start complaining, and these guys are now complaining because they're saying we're trying to do them a service by picking it up ahead of time. And we quickly was like, hey, let's, let's, do, let's just do a better job of communicating. That's what that shows. Now the hospital dashboard was very different because the hospitals, they all put in their information into the AIM system, but they had no purview into what other hospitals were doing. So these are all competing entities. But, but when we have something that's an equalized like the COVID virus, where it's a threat to our ventilators and our bed population, we need to see who has what available. Because if I'm mobile infirmary, I have 49% of the COVID patients coming to me. I need to know who else out there can handle this load. Who else has an abundance of supplies? If I if my supplies are dwindling down, who can I call on for extra supplies and for help? And so that's what those dashboards did uh, for the hospitals.
0: These are excellent examples and really kind of bring home your your the way you're thinking around system design and how you're thinking innovatively about solving these solving these problems. Um, um, Deborah, uh, who's uh, sort of moved from Washington State and is now uh, in Alabama, she's finishing up her master's program. Uh, And so she talked a little bit about in the chat that, you know, in terms of like people moving uh, in this area. She saw many movers uh, on the road. And so do you see many differences in the way communities are addressing this uh, COVID or even designers are addressing this across different geographical areas?
1: Oh, yeah. So, I'll tell you what, So we, we get a chance to it a lot because we're in the Bloomberg Network. So, of course, uh, cities all around the world and we, we have those calls once a week with, with them. Uh, I find that I find that cities that cities that have a transient population and have a lot of transplants, they are dealing with this issue so much better, um, versus cities that have that have like a stagnant population and got the same people. We do the things the same way. We're traditional. They're having a very difficult time with moving because this requires a lot of collaboration. It requires a lot of sharing. It requires a lot of trust and vulnerability, which a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of people that are in charge of dealing with their part are unwilling to embrace that. And, and those are also things that you can't just start embracing in the middle of a crisis. You have to kind of have those skills and, and abilities before this happens. Uh, for a perfect example, Seattle was having a very rough time in the very beginning. They were getting slammed. Well, their mayor was great. And, and their, the, the schools around them and the Microsoft helped them out. So you saw seeing this, this this great collaboration, their, their curve was, was starts, starts to flatten out well before anybody else's. And then you go to California, you look at what's happening in California with LA and you say, well, this should be, this is gonna be a disaster out there. they are doing much better than, than some of us. And, but, that, but that is because they, they, they were already in the habit of sharing. They were already in the habit of having empathy. They were already in the habit of capturing data to understand uh, so that we need to look at data. Uh, we need to collect data. For demographics for uh for, for then we need to look at ages and we need to look at special populations and we need and we shouldn't be afraid to share that well if you come to a place like alabama well we're we're not really good at capturing data which means that we're reluctant to share so we're not sharing because we are afraid of you seeing the truth in alabama people are afraid to share because they don't have anything they're they're not doing a great job in, in collecting data and that is because all the people who come here that learn data, visualization, and statistics, where are they going? They're going out west. They're going to the east. They're going up north. They're not staying here. And so we have that, that lack of talent here in, in, in the south. And that is not just Mobile. It's, it's Birmingham and Montgomery and even Huntsville.
0: That's a a very keen observation. I mean, we knew I knew that there would be some differences, but I I don't think I've quite heard it, um, you know, sort of said that way. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So as we're thinking about uh, the future of instructional design and -hmm. moving forward. Uh, What are your thoughts about uh, as instructional designers, as a human performance improvement specialist, as all the different titles that we, you know, really have across organizations, institutions, and um, different entities, what do we need to be thinking about as the future of the field?
1: So I think, I think about, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about personally. I'm thinking about personally is, you know, how then do we, how then do we get out and ahead of of the current state so you know we realize that i look at it that there is a current state and then there's a future state and in between the current and the future state there are challenge areas and i break those challenge areas out into anchors and rockets the anchors are the things that are that are pulling us back down towards the status quo and the rockets are the are the things that we can accept as challenges that will propel us to a more bolder future path um, I think I think for us is to to also not get caught up in our titles. So you know, a lot of times we're like, "I'm an instructional designer. I design instruction." No, your job is to help people move systems, rethink service de- service delivery. I am not just an instructional designer. I'm not just a technologist because when I once I when I realized that once I got in moving to my career path and then I started doing this traveling that people were just designers like instructional designers, product designers, research designers, they're just, we're just designers and we're all trying to do the same thing, which then opens up your mind to so many other types of skills and so many other avenues. So when I, when I think about I was some notes, I started out, one of my favorite models uh, in school was the adding model, because it's very simple, right? Analyze, design, develop, implement, evaluate. Can't get easier than that. And then the Wiggins and McTeague model was the backwards thinking model, thinking about where I want to be first and then how do I work back from that? Well, then when I entered the world of design thinking and moving out through spaces like audio and uh, and, uh, and solve next with the think wrong book, I started realizing that, you know, there's another path to innovation. So now the model that we use, it, it starts with understanding the problem, which is framing the, the problem and then reframing the problem. Um, then generating and testing the ideas and then develop initiatives. That then was a smaller, more condensed version of the, uh, of the Addy model. But what happens is it opened me up to another way of thinking that we can put all the titles on these things that we want to. But in reality, some of these things are going to, you're going to learn them all and then you're going to throw them all in the pot and you're going to mix them. And then you're going pull to the, pull the different methodologies out for the group that you're working with at that time. So back to being flexible. Back to being very flexible for us, you know, for us what, what happened, it, it ended up being like, we started realizing that people weren't getting this. We were using high level language. Then I realized we got to use very low level language. And we started thinking like, well, these people are also, these people are also well-educated. Well, they are well-educated, just, just not educated in the design process. And so then if our job is to deliver this thing where they could, where they then can take it and run with it very fast, have to speak in the language that they understand, very concise, very clean, very clear, very visual, uh and so i think that is that is where we should be as as designers i for me i I just let the whole title of instructional designer go because i start thinking am i really designing instruction i thought about today on my way here i am designing instruction just in very different ways so perfect one example take what you have start where you are take what you have use what you have so one day we wanted we wanted to be able to show the process of learning in reverse so we took a video camera which is a wise camera which is really a home uh, a home security camera and we hung it from the we hung it from the uh from the pipe from the uh what is it, the fire extinguisher pipes the water sprinkler pipe and we angled it down towards the table and we just recorded people working all day long Well we went back and took that and took it back to the uh to the department after they finished their work and then they were like, oh my God. Like, so it's one thing for me to, to walk you through the process. It's another thing for me to show you exactly what you did and recap it. Football teams do it, baseball teams do it. Why don't we do it in instructional design?
0: And so we started,
1: we, we just started taking inspiration from sports and all those other, uh, all those other industries that, 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 that we weren't doing inside of an uh, in academic field or in the performance improvement field and started to implement it now. What you see is people are now starting to speak the language because they saw themselves doing it. And now they're able to share it out. And so that's part of it is that we're not, we're not, we're not just innovators or, or designers, we are also spreaders of the culture. And if we're not, if people walk away from us and they hadn't learned anything new, then we hadn't done anything. We don't want to build our pricing model based on people coming back to us over and over to do the same thing. We want them to go out and try new things and learn new things, which forces us to learn new things. We can teach them new things.
0: You're giving us so much to think about, uh, Terrence, as it relates to the role that we have wherever we are. So broadening that and also thinking about like not really necessarily characterizing it, you know, part of what we and i think for myself i a lot of times i'm thinking like what am i what am i doing you know so these roles these labels mean a lot for you know for various reasons and how we move forward and i hear you saying like let's let's move away from that and let's broaden how we can contribute to wherever we are right and then broadening that based on what we're not what we know what we're learning and what we foresee in terms of challenges I think that's fantastic in terms of thinking about how we move forward as the, in, in the future um, Dorothy has a question about um, the obstacle around uh, keeping uh, talent uh, how do we as communities and entities organizations keep talent and then um we may have time for one more question, but after that we'll begin to wrap up our discussion
1: so i will tell you what so one of my one of what I do to what i do what I, I think it's very important to keep talent is to You know, the the systems themselves. So I'm I'm a very big, I'm a very big uh, studier of and a fan of just systems thinking. And so when we we start thinking about, you know, we're we're losing all these these kids. Right. So I started myself. I just started going to the campuses and start trying to find these kids that are doing great work early on. And I want them to know you belong here. Why do I know you belong here? Because I'm here and I'm totally invested in being here. And so then I start figuring out what do these kids, when these kids graduate, or these people move on to something else, what do they desire in a, in a field, in a working environment? And so then I have to come back and start thinking, how can I change this environment to fit what they want, but to also keep the culture that we have to, to please the current staff? And so if, <laughs> perfect example, if we're gonna do paper and pencil for everything, and we're gonna be requiring people to come to meetings face to face all day long. We're not going to adapt. We're going to uh, attract young people, not even just young people, but creative people. We're gonna lose all those creatives and they're gonna go somewhere else and do something else. And so then we start thinking about, you know, how, can we, how can we create the environment that they really want? And so one thing that, one thing that we start to do here is that like, I, I have a guy who came back to Mobile he went to New York and, 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 and uh, worked in Harlem. And then he went over to San Diego. Now he's in Mobile. He's never going anywhere else. He's here. But what is that? I also let that, I also allow that guy to work from home. That guy that guy will put in about 11 hours of work from home in the office because he's, he has ADD. He's not gonna do that much work in the office because there's too much, too much stimulus going on. He's, he's overstimulated. Uh, but then we have another guy who, who needs to be inside the office, but he also needs a lot of quiet when he's working, and so we create that environment for them. I'll take I'll take you another another quick tour. So this is the office. So we create we we designed our office to fit those skill sets, to fit the desire. So here it is right now, and then I'll take you on another little journey. Every space has its has its. It's really own, this own signature for somebody who's doing something. I'll take you a little further to the back. And so this is our war room. This is where our designer hangs out As You can see all of the notes. And so this is some of our data that we're pulling. You start to see all of this stuff. And so we realized that we had to create different spaces to fit the needs of different people. If, if we just created it with Terrence in mind, then it was never going to work we have to fit the different needs and, and thoughts and I'll show you something else this is another one and this is what we this is what so we shift even though it's a small space we shift all our different we shift to do iframe and then it helps to for us you know I realized that it was very important so for some reason when I got here, I guess I looked different, so people's like, you know, this guy. We need to put him on the front of everything, We need to put him on magazines and everything. And so I said, you know, that's great, but I do have a team. And so what I started doing, I started sharing the love because I, I didn't want to have all these awards and accolades and not my, have my team with those awards and accolades as well. And so now you have individual accolades and you have group accolades. And most people are like, well, you got to be humble, you got to be, got to have some level of humility. Yes, you do you have to do that, but. This is a world of social media. So those people don't need to be attached to Terrence or the City of Mobile forever. They need to have their own accolades and their own skills and their the building. One other example I'm gonna show you, and this is definitely from my, from my level of design and structural design thinking and thinking about how we collaborate and how we cut down on the inefficiencies. That room right there, straight ahead, that was the director's office. I changed that into a small conference room. I sit right here. Everybody that works for us sit in this room. So when I became a director, I decided that, hey, we have a lot of inefficiencies in our flow. We only got eight hours in a day. We need to get as much work done in that eight hours as possible. Part of my day is spent in meetings and staff meetings and all this other stuff. And I said, well, let's do this. Let's, let's cut staff meetings out. Let's sit in one space. So we now, they, it takes a level, of, a level of vulnerability. So now they see everybody as equals. They could, with three teams, three members, they could vote me out of something if they wanted to that's how confident I am in their skills and their ability. So they are also, we have to give them the opportunity to become leaders. My, everything I do is about getting them to, uh, getting them to learn something that they didn't know before. So my designer, he was never a talker. you so he had ADHD, he, he, he's, he's really reserved. He's really, and he's really introvert. Every chance I got, I put him in front of people, I had him talk. He couldn't do a three to five minute speech. Now this guy is doing three to four hour workshops. All around the world, and so that I think that is how you keep young people. So it's not really just about the space, but about the feeling and the thought. And what are we going to do to keep these people? What do they? What could? What could they have in Atlanta or New York or Seattle that I don't have here? How do I get that here within my budget? A lot of times, it's not in the budget. It's about the mindset.
0: This is fantastic, Terrence. I mean, thank you so much. I mean, you've given us so many things to think about. I mean, from from changing our culture, from adapting the environment to meeting the needs of our team, elevating our team, really thinking about technology, thinking ahead while we're in crisis. I mean, so many different things and notes that I took while we were while you were talking with us. Um, this has been extremely helpful. And I just must say as a faculty member in instructional design and development, uh, thank you so much for being a, an alumni of our program. You know, you are doing such innovative work. Uh, we would love to be able to see how we can support with, um, you know, students maybe doing internship with you uh, in your, at your, at your office. Um, uh, We have some people always. do you need an intern? We hear that already. So maybe we'll be in contact about uh, the best way to do that and what you may need some assistance with. But thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us uh, and giving us an opportunity to ask you questions. And uh, I'll make sure that um, uh, we pass on that internship. We talk about that internship real soon, possibly if you have some need. And I hear everyone in the chat, saying thank you. And uh, (laughs) we appreciate it so much for being I'll with us what, um, this
1: time. And, and I will tell you what, thank you guys for all that you do. I'll tell you what, I couldn't, I would not be here had it not been for the University of South Alabama and, and you for, for pulling me off, pulling me to the side that, that day. And I, I tell everybody that, you know, so I tell you all the time, we talk about teachers and the, the impact of teachers, but we don't really give really good teachers the, 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 uh, the accolades that they're due. Because I mean, without really good people, if someone, some, someone, somewhere who's created something, have done something, had a good teacher, somebody who cared about them, and I think that that is what we all should be doing in our, in our fields and wherever we go, wherever we work. Recognize the next young person coming up, not as a threat, but as, a, as, a, as a valuable resource one day, and someone who has a lot of potential. We just need to turn that into something. And I know that I was probably not the, not the easiest person to help mold and turn into something, but. You guys, <laughs> you did it. So thank you so much.
0: We appreciate you, Terrence. Thank you so much. And thank you. Best wishes to you all you're doing uh, for the city of Mobile. All the people who are impacted, the lives of citizens. Uh, we thank you for all you're doing. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch with you. And uh, Keeping, keeping up with all the innovative and uh, wonderful things that you're doing. Thank you so much again. And thank you to everyone who's attended today. Um, I'm seeing all the chats. If you look there, uh, Terrence, you can see um, the attendees are very thankful and um, very glad they were able to hear your thoughts and expertise today. So thank you, everyone. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. All right, thank so you. Stay much. safe out there. Stay safe. Thank you. Right, Thanks thank for everyone you. for coming. This was fantastic. Hi, thank you. Thank you.